Proverbs 23, 22 through 26. And I want to read this uh, for us at the beginning here. It says this. Listen to your father who gave you life. Do not despise your mother when she is old. Buy truth and do not sell it. Buy wisdom, instruction, and understanding. The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice. He who fathers a wise son will be glad in him. Let your father and mother be glad. Let her who bore you rejoice. My son, give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. That's our scripture for the morning. And with today being parent-child dedication, I thought it would be appropriate for us to spend our morning uh, pausing from our first Peter series and jumping into just talking about parenting a bit. It's an enormous privilege, and as I said before, it's an enormous responsibility. And, and today I want to look at what I believe to be one of the most important biblical principles on parenting. It's a principle that we as a church will often uh, emphasize, and we do it from time to time because it's just so, so incredibly important. So we've uh, touched on some of this stuff before, but it's just something that we have to keep in front of us. And I know that not all of us in the room today are parents. You may be a future parent. Not all of us are even going to be parents in the future, but you may seek to pour yourself into the life of another as um, God has called us to. And so for all of us, I believe there's going to be much overlap and, and much takeaway because these truths are truths about how we care for people and they're truths about how we pour into people's heart. And so I think it's going to be very important for us all. So I have this office mate who uh, has a green thumb and I will not name her uh, or, or him. I will not name him or her uh, because uh, I don't want to incriminate anybody. But uh, on my uh, way out of the office uh, just Friday, I grabbed something to show you that uh, my office mate is correct and that she is always uh, counseling me in the ways of plant care, I should say. And uh, I, I'm really, really bad at it, and uh, I get lectured from time to time when said person comes into the office and sees my plants not doing very well. And so on my way out, I, I brought this. You see what I mean? Um, I, I just picked it off of my plant, and it was really, really bad. And um, yeah, it's really bad. I stink at planting. Uh, I don't have a green thumb. Uh, gardening, I, I fail to water. I, I fail to open up the blinds from time to time and let the natural light in. I'm like an office vampire. Uh, I fail to prune. It, it's really bad. And I, I don't give plants the attention and the care that they need in order to survive. And it's not because I can't but it's because I'm forgetful. Anybody? You can kind of resonate with that. It's not because I can't. In fact, I think we could all be good at gardening. We all could be good at gardening. It's not like athleticism where you've got to have a little bit of it naturally. It's not like music where you've got to have some pitch naturally. It's something that we could all be good at. And the Bible will direct us to think about parenting and developing people like developing a garden. And I want us this morning to think about developing our children like developing a garden because God in his grace has, has given us the, the tools necessary to do so so we can all be good at it. We can all be good at it even if we're a bit forgetful like me with, with planting. And so we're going to look at developing children like developing a garden. And uh, Isaiah chapter 5, along with many other passages in the scriptures, will we'll talk about developing people like a garden. So Isaiah chapter 5, 7, we'll talk about the nation of Israel like a, a vineyard. 
You go through the New Testament, and Jesus uses all of this agricultural uh, terms, like speaking about uh, the the parables of the soils and the wheat and the tares and planting seeds. And in John chapter 15, 16, Jesus will say that he has appointed us as his people, his disciples, to bear fruit, uh, fruit that will last. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 will tell us, Paul says, that he has planted the seed, uh, Apollos waters the seed, but God gives the growth and the seed being the hearts of, of people and the gospel that is planted there. And the, the Bible often tells us to think about developing people like developing a garden. And the same goes for our, our parenting. So in, in Psalm chapter 128, verse 3, it says, The man who fears the Lord, this man, your wife, will be like a fruitful vine within your house, and your children will be like olive shoots around your table. And so I think that's probably the next great Pixar film, right? The, the, the olive shoot family. Uh, it's a picture of, of children being like olive shoots, these small, vulnerable, fragile little uh, sprouts coming out of the garden. And parents are tasked with caring for them and nurturing them and, and protecting them. And so let's think this morning about children as seeds in a garden. I grew up in the church. Some of you have, some of you have not. And I don't know what your experience was, but my experience was that uh, I have some friends who uh, were my friends since uh, the church, early church days, um, but many friends who, unlike uh, myself, are just not walking with the Lord. They grew up in the church, but they're no longer walking with the Lord. And for me, over my past decade of, of ministry, I've had numerous meetings with parents, whether in my office or at the side of a stage after preaching at a youth camp or a youth event. And, and I have these, these meetings, these conversations that will frequently go like this, a parent scratching their head and saying, I do not understand how this happened. This was not supposed to happen. I raised my kids in the church. I dropped them off at vacation Bible school. Maybe I sent them to a Christian school uh, or a youth group. Uh, I was really firm in, in disciplining them. And all of these things were supposed to prevent my kid from rebelling, right? And then their children rebel and they ask, how did this happen? And for me as a, as a young parent, I, I, I insert my three kids all the time and say, yeah, that would just break my heart. To see my kids rebel uh, from the Lord, rebel against me, and, and uh, walk far uh, from the Lord, and it would break my heart. But the common mistake, I believe, is that there are so many Christian parents who think, if I can just put my kid in a Christian environment, he or she will grow up godly. And they're sadly mistaken. Parents will wrongly think that if I, I put my little seed, my little seed inside of, of the garden, that they'll grow up godly, because they were in a Christian garden, a Christian parameter, right? And yet a decade or two later, they're oftentimes perplexed when their faith in Christ is no more, and their relationship with mom and dad is, is strained, and it begins to kind of look like my little poor plant, and it breaks our hearts, and we don't want that. Parenting requires work, right? Some of you, your grandparents in the room, and you look back with wisdom and you say it required a lot of work. And if we're going to be lazy, it's going to be eternally costly for our children. And so our proverb this morning shows us that as parents, we have to work very hard and we have to work very closely and get our hands dirty with our children. Now, before we get into the proverb, what I want to do is I want to introduce to you all uh, a very important verse that I believe is a foundational 
principle to our humanity, not just to parenting, but to our humanity. And it's found in Genesis chapter 2, before sin corrupted humanity. In Genesis chapter 2, this is really important. Chapter 3, sin enters the picture. But just before that, we have the way God designed it. We call this often here at the church creation mandate. This was his design. And in Genesis 2.15, here's what it says. It says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And so what did God want for his people before sin entered the picture, before sin corrupted all things? God wanted us to work and to keep the garden. And I think it's not just practically with regards to our hands, but in terms of how we work as people. He wants us to work and to keep. And these verbs are also used together as you go further on in the scriptures uh, with regards to the priests in the tabernacle. Very important words that speak to shepherding and to, to pastoring and to priestly duties and, and fathers who are referred to as, as pastors in the homes. That we are designed to work and to keep our garden. We're to work and to, to keep. And so let's think about what these words mean for just a second before we get into the proverb. To, to work means to, to labor towards growth. This involves in gardening, working soil, planting seeds, adding fertilizer, ensuring that sunlight is not blocked, uh, watering, laboring, working towards growth. And then keep then means that we're to guard it. Once growth starts, we're to guard the growth that is beginning to happen, the growth that has already been gained. That involves watching, it involves protecting, it involves pruning, it involves caring for the garden, keeping the the garden. So we are to work and we are to keep God's creation, the the earth. And this is a creation mandate uh, for, for men in particular, and I believe for all People. Now, let's think about how this applies to, to parenting together, if we can, and, and to relationships. For those of you who are not parents or maybe won't even ever be parents, uh, that, that parental gardening is not drop the seed in the garden and walk away, much like I tend to do and hope it takes care of itself, but drop the seed in the garden and then personally stoop down and, and, and get dirty and, and, and parent well and get close to the soil. That is God's design for us and for Parenting. And, and parenting, uh, the, the work of parenting is like working soil, keeping it from getting hard, making sure it's, it's as fertile as you can be in your own human power so that the, the good news of Jesus can, can grow up in their hearts. And so let's look at our scripture again if we can. Proverbs chapter uh, 23, 22 through 26. In verses 22 and 23, it calls children of, of any age, so that's all of us in the room, of any age to listen and to receive the, the wisdom and the instruction and the understanding that our, our parents gave us. It, it, it instructs us to, to buy it and, and not to sell it. doesn't even talk about the price, does it? Well, how much is it before I buy it? No, it doesn't even go there. It just says, buy it, don't sell it. Just buy it. Get it, keep it, get your hands on it, because the teaching of your parents is priceless. Children, receive it. Parents, give it. You've got to get this. Verses 24 and 25 then go on to say that that parents find great joy and great delight when their kids receive and then apply the instruction that has been given 
to them. So this is baseball season for my, my boys. We're just kind of finishing up baseball season. And, and the past few weeks, uh, my boys and I have been hopping on our bikes with a, a baseball bat sticking out of a backpack full of baseballs. And we'll drive down to the, or, or ride down to the field and we'll get up on the field and we'll, we'll, we'll pitch balls and let these guys practice hitting. And uh, I've been working with my oldest son in particular on his stance, on keeping the eye on the ball. And so this Thursday... After all of that practice, he gets up to bat. The coach pitches the very first pitch of his at-bat, and he crushes it, and he runs to first base. He gets a good base hit. The other guys come around and knock him around, and he gets a run, and he was so pleased. And I was so pleased to see that my son received my teaching, applied it, and was successful because of it. And as a parent, right, we can think back to instances in our own lives where We find great joy in seeing our children receive and apply and benefit from our teaching. But how much more uh, amazing is it when our kids uh, receive and apply and and benefit from our teaching on more important fields in life, right? That's what we want. That's what we want. And it says that a parent will, will, will delight, will rejoice when their children do that. Now, the next verse we see here is is key. To, to this happening. This, this verse will basically summarize uh, what I believe is the Bible's teaching on uh, parenting children, including how God the Father parents us, his children. So let's read it again. Proverbs chapter 23, 26. He says, My son, give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. And let's focus in on the key phrase here. My son or daughter, give me your heart. Here's what we get from this, that as parents, we are to go after the heart. Lock and load that. As parents, we're to go after the the heart. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 uh, tells us that from the heart flow the springs of life. So don't go after the springs, go after the heart. In other words, the heart is the the key to the the whole person. And in, in the Bible, the heart is who we are on the inside. It's the, the real us. And, and Jesus, if you think about his own ministry, was just going after the heart over and over and over and over again. So he declares, for example, about the scribes and the Pharisees that, that these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In other words, these guys, wow, they, they can say the right things and their behavior looks great, but their hearts are wicked. He calls them like whitewashed tombs. Like you're dead but you got a really clean tombstone. doesn't really mean anything, does it? It says, you honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. Jesus is constantly going after the heart. And notice the proverb says, give me your heart, not give me your behavior. And I think this is where a lot of us parents can immediately be indicted, right? Because we oftentimes go after behavior and not after the heart. And we, as parents, can, can flex our authority and get our children to obey but never actually have their heart. And we, as parents, can demand you be present in the church and they can be present for worship, but their heart isn't actually overflowing with worship. They're like whitewashed tombs, honoring with their lips, but their hearts are far from the Lord. And so... Many parents have to be mindful that it's not just about getting your kid to church, dropping your kid in the garden, and assuming that he or she will grow. We can't assume that. We have to be very, very 
careful. They're not just going to, to bear fruit. And so what do we do? We go after the heart, not their obedience, not their presence, not just their respect, but we go after the heart. And so let me ask you, because we always need to bring it to ourselves, are, are we going after the heart? Maybe in parenting, maybe in another relationship where you're trying to pour into somebody and, and disciple and be about that. Are you going after, I'd like them to do this and live this way? Or are you going after, I'd like to see evidence of true heart change? And notice again that it says, my son, give me your heart. Now, you can't take their heart. They have to give you their heart. Trust me, if I could steal the hearts of my kids, I would, I would steal their hearts, but they have to give it. And so the question is, how do we get it? How do we get the hearts of our kids? And, and as I look at countless biblical examples, I think the way that we begin to have them give us their heart is we have to first give them our heart. We have to give them our heart. And you give your heart to your child, it's not just a, a one-time thing. You often hear people say, oh, they had my heart at day one. Right? Well, they weren't very alert themselves at day one, and they weren't old enough to, to really internalize that, so you have to continually give them your heart with love and affection, holding them and caring for them and snuggling with them. At five this morning, I was snuggling with my little man, Luca, showing them mercy and, and, and grace and di- direction and, and time and care. But here's the challenge for us, if we all think about our own lives and our trajectory of our lives. As we grow older, we also grow busier, don't we? I mean, so many people think, well, next year things are going to kind of slow down a bit, but they never seem to actually slow down, do they? As we grow older, we only grow busier. We become more involved in our careers as we climb up the ladder, or we move from owning an apart- or renting an apartment to owning a condo in the city. And suddenly something breaks and you have to fix it. You can't call the landlord and you just grow busier. And what that means is that we have to figure out how can we be in their lives and how can we give them time and give them our hearts. And if you have a pastime that needs to be put on hold, put it on hold, right? Maybe it's watching the game or golfing or working on the cars. And the good news is, is that as you grow older, Though you're busier, some of these pastimes you can re-engage in because you can do them with your, your children, right? And you can do these things with your children as they grow older. And so now my kids are getting old enough where we can go skiing together, which is fun. I love to ski, but now I can do it with my, my kids. In the warmer months now, uh, bike riding has become our thing, and we just love riding bikes all over the place. And we even have this little bike trailer that somebody in the church gave us that we put on the back and... And I put my daughter in it. So the, all of us, we just, we just go on a big, long bike ride. And my, my son Isaiah and I will, will stop. And we will, you know, sometimes just the two of us go out and stop at a coffee shop and, and talk. And I'll ask all kinds of questions of him just to hear what's going on. Like, tell me about your friends at school. And he just loves to talk about his friends at school. Or, or tell, me, tell me something else. And he'll tell me about a, a game that he found on my iPhone that he's, he, he's playing. Or he'll, he'll tell me about a book he's reading. And my son does not miss a detail. He's kind of like me. He's very OCD and very type A. And he just gives me all the details. And literally, I'll just sit from, from start to finish of the book and just hear almost every single detail of the book. He just read this 9-11 book. And he told me all about this thing that happened called 9-11, my eight-year-old. And uh, it was pretty, pretty cool. And, but I, I sat, sat with him and, and I listened because, you know, every ounce of uh, pastoral teaching within me makes me just want to sit down with him and just start to open the Bible and preach and give him all these Bible lessons. 
And that does happen. But first thing that he needs to know is that daddy is into me. Daddy is into me. And daddy has given me his heart before he will then give me his heart. And so I strategically try to give my my kids time. My my daughter Nora and I go on these daddy-daughter dates. Monday is my off day. And I'll put her in that little trailer in the back of my bike and we'll ride from West Roxbury into Jamaica Plain and, and we'll walk around the Arboretum and we'll sniff flowers. And that's, that's our thing. And my allergies are really bad, <laughs> but I love my daughter. And then we'll go on a date and she'll get eggs and I'll get coffee. My, my Luca, my middle child, he's six years old. He's our athlete. And so we go out and we shoot basketball. Shoot and shoot and shoot, and it's a kid's goal, so I can actually pretend like I'm good. He thinks daddy's awesome because he can dunk. And uh, we'll throw football. We'll play Hot Wheels. My Isaiah, uh, he's my brainiac, and so we'll talk about the deep meaning of life for an eight-year-old. And he'll go with me when I speak at youth camps and whatnot, and he'll pray with me before I get up on stage to teach the Bible. And it's a beautiful time. And I just learned so much from my kids, just by being into what they're into, right? And, and giving them my heart, praying that they'll give me their heart. And I think that's so, so important. That we have to give them our heart before we expect them to give their heart to us. And we have to be very cautious here because if we don't give them our heart, they don't see the need to give us their heart. They're going to give their heart to somebody else who they shouldn't be giving their heart to. And so we give them our heart And while we're doing that, we can tend to their heart, being a gardener and a guardian, working and keeping. And so let's let's take uh, a little while just to think through how we can be like a gardener. If this is this common thread through the scripture, we want to apply this principle. Typically, we'll go just verse by verse through passages. But if we just want to apply this principle, let's think about this a little bit. Think about stooping down and, and being in the soil Think about getting dirty and, and close to the soil in relationship like a, a good gardener would. But we have to be in close proximity frequently. That means that so many parents who will say, well, it's all about the quality time and not the quantity time. And I'm just not quite sure that that's true. We have to use our time to get down and get close. A gardener will also move the stones that inhibit growth, right? And we have to find the stones in the lives of our, our children that inhibit growth. And every child, it's different. You can't go from this patch of soil to this patch of soil and assume that there's going to be stones the same size in the same places. There might be old roots and things that we need to move away, and we have to do that. It could be a harmful relationship for your child. It could be this stone of this particular style of schooling is not working for your child. It could be something that's in their heart that needs to be addressed. Another thing a gardener is going to do is a gardener is going to soften hardened soil. How can we as as parents soften the solid soil around our children's lives? Let's think about how Jesus softened soil around the hard hearts of of people. What he did is he served, right? He got down and he washed feet. I I consider that like massaging hearts, washing feet, softening, softening soil by serving people. Another thing that he clearly was into was praying for his disciples Think about right before appointing his disciples, how he prayed for them on the mountain, and then he came and he appointed 
These are going to be my disciples. I think about John chapter 17 at the end when he prays for his disciples immediate and his disciples us for the future. And he prays that, that they would be one. He prays that they would be faithful, that they would be like aliens in a strange place. He prays for them. And, and, and we should all be praying frequently for our children and grandchildren, right? Every night before I put my kids to bed, I, I put my hand on their head after praying with them, laying with them and, and, and reading scripture or telling them a story or singing them a song. I'll put my hand on their head and I just pray, God, I pray that Isaiah would grow up to be a man of God. I pray that Luca would grow up to be a man of God. I pray that Nora would grow up to be a woman of God. I pray for future spouses, for all kinds of things, but I, I pray and I, I lift them up to the Lord and it's something we should all be very, very committed to. Another strategy that my wife and I have, have adopted is that the week of our children's birthdays each year, we pick one day within that week and we pray all day for them and we fast all day for them. And we pray for some very, very specific things. And so we'll fast dinner and then breakfast and then lunch and then we'll go on a date that, that last night, just the two of us, and we'll talk about our children and we'll talk about their heart and about the soil and the things that we're praying for and, and really... Continue to pray over dinner. It's a, it's a great thing that we do, but we're softening the soil around the hearts of our children. Another thing that a gardener does is a gardener plants seeds. We've got to be very, very mindful that, that we have to plant seeds. Yes, we're moving stones. Yes, we're softening soil, but we have also actually have to, to plant some, some seeds, the seeds of the gospel. We have to actually teach them the Bible. We actually have to tell them how the gospel applies over and over and over again in their lives. And so are you planting seeds of the truth of Jesus in their hearts, right? Are you showing them their sinfulness and their need for God's grace? And there are numerous ways that you can do this. You can actually read the Bible to them. You could, you could get a kid's Bible and read that to them. You could sing them songs that have gospel truths in them. My, my, my kids know a lot of good songs that we sing at church and they want to sing those instead of just row, row, row your boat. They want to sing good gospel-centered songs. My, my daughter, Nora, her favorite song right now is Bless the Lord, O My Soul. That's what we just sang. And she sings that at the top of her lungs and our windows are down this time of year and our neighbors must think we're crazy because our houses are five feet from each other and the, the words are bouncing off and it's a good, a good thing. Another thing we can do is we can read good books to them. Right? We have lots of books beyond just the Bible that have gospel-centered truths. We have them available on our website for you if you want to go under uh, resources and go under marriage and family and find some of those. We've also uh, made it very careful to uh, find CDs that have good music for our kids and Jesus-centered uh, Bible songs. And we just want to constantly plant seeds of the gospel in their lives. Uh, one of our families today read from Deuteronomy chapter 6. An amazing passage of scripture that talks about how we're to use teachable moments in our lives. That when we walk with our children, by the way, when we wake up and when we lie down, we're constantly talking about the Lord with them so that our kids will grow up to, to fear the Lord. But we have to plant seeds of the gospel. We can't just hope that it's happening. We've got to know that we are planting seeds of the gospel and say we are doing this very clearly. Another thing you do once you plant seeds like a gardener is you're going to pull weeds. You're going to see weeds start to grow up in and around the heart of, of your child. So we do monitor our children's relationship. We do discipline our, our, our children. We do make sure that we're aware of what they're watching on TV and the themes that are being communicated. 
You might find a movie that's, that's clean for your kids, but it maybe speaks about beauty in a way that's not something that's actually true according to the Scripture. It speaks about love in a way that is not really going to set your heart, kid's heart in the right director, uh, trajectory. And so we need to pull weeds and be very cautious with that. We have to extract things out of their lives that are not good. And then communicate why we do it, right? Because our kids don't like it, and you can think back on your own life. how You don't like it when things are pulled out of your life, and so you have to communicate these things. And as you get older, this stuff starts to get more difficult, doesn't it? You can't just say no and pull these things away and take the privileges away without communi- You have to communicate why they are to obey. Right? Richard Phillips is a pastor and a, a teacher, and he teaches this. He teaches that parents have, have to begin to change their parenting style as they grow older, and we gradually will release our grip and transition them from uh, directing to, to guiding. We have to be very mindful of that. We have to move from flexing our authority to, to practicing influence as they become uh, a bit older in, in life. And uh, we have to be very cautious of that. And I think about how the biblical narrative works. And isn't that kind of how it looks in the Bible as you go from Old Testament into New Testament? Old Testament, there were these rules establishing the authority of the Lord. And as you get into the New Testament, there's grace and there's great influence from the Lord. And those younger years are so important to establish uh, your authority over these children. that God has granted you this authority. And then as they grow older to have great influence over them as the Lord does to us as he releases the grip and shows us great grace. We have to work the soil. The last thing I think we need to look at is this idea of watering, going back to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, that we plant the seeds and we water the seeds over and over and over and over again. We're constantly applying and reapplying gospel truths. So let me me close with just this well-known passage that we read earlier, but let me read it again. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 6 through 7. Here's what it says. Paul says, I planted Apollos watered, but God gives the growth. And so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. And so here's what Paul is, is recognizing about the people that he cared for, that he nurtured. He recognized that there was planting and that there was watering and the working of the soil that is absolutely happening. And there's the gospel being shared and reshared and cared for over and over and over again. But ultimately, who brings the growth? Ultimately, God brings the growth. That we do our part and we seek to provide soil that is fertile and parameters and protection and guardianship and care as we can. But ultimately, God gives the growth. And so here's what this tells us. It tells us that even if you've messed up as you look back, you've messed up this whole parenting thing or made some major mistakes, God can still in his grace grow up a healthy child, can't he? And maybe some of you even today, I don't want you to leave discouraged. I want you to leave encouraged and say, God is gracious. It's God who gives the growth. I'm going to pray, God, bring the growth even through my mistakes. No one should leave discouraged. God is in control. God is good. And he loves to give us what we don't deserve. Isn't that what the gospel is? The good news of Jesus is that we have rebelled against God. We've sinned against God. We've turned our backs on him. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, right? But God, so good that he became a man, Jesus of Nazareth, and he lived a life we could never live. 
and he died the death that he didn't deserve. The wages of sin is death, but he never sinned, but yet he died taking on our punishment for sin, our wage for sin, and then he resurrects to life, reigning supreme as, as Lord and offering us new and eternal life so that if we trust in him and not in ourselves, we might be made right. It's the grace of God. It's the grace of God. And so, as we see God gives the growth, we can be encouraged and we can be confident that, you know what, even if I've messed up, and we all do and we all will, that God is good and God is gracious. Anybody in here a control freak? I can say I am. Every now and again it works out for the good, but usually it works out bad, very poorly. And some of us, we just want to say, okay, here's what I need to do equals my child will grow up perfect. And we don't get that, do we? We get, you do what you need to do. You be obedient to the Lord, but God brings the growth. And so it's us cooperating with God the Holy Spirit and trusting and praying and pleading, God, bring the growth. God, bring the growth. Please, Lord, bring the growth. And so we need to be a people who are constantly on our knees before the Lord Please, I pray for my kids. Please, Lord, take their hearts, cause growth. I'm going to do my part, but cause the growth. It's all you. We should have this desperation as parents. God, do what only you can do. And so we're going to pray to that end now. And I'm also going to pray for those of us who hear this message of Jesus, this idea that God is gracious and God does for us what we can't do for ourselves. I'm going to pray that that you would hear that message and you would internalize that message. And the Bible tells us that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Saved from the wage of sin, which is death. Like Jesus says to Lazarus, that though you die, yet you shall shall live. And so I'm going to pray for all of us. Let's pray. Father, we do pray for these, these parents in the room. We pray for all of us in this room who have influence over somebody. Pray, Lord, that we would take these principles and we would apply them. We would apply them to the hearts and the lives of the people that we care for. That we would see them as people that need to be nurtured and cared for. We need to be on our knees and, and we need to be getting dirty. And be in close proximity and working soil. But we also need to be pleading with you to move. Because it's you who brings the growth. And so we pray this for all the people that we have influence over. We pray this for children. Thank you for the many children that you've given our church family. We pray that they would grow up in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. God, I pray for those who this morning just need to know your grace and your goodness, that though they've made mistakes, perhaps in parenting, perhaps in other places in their lives, maybe just coming into a church building reminds them of failure, yeah, we know that your goodness says you don't want this to be about failure. You want this to be about your good grace given to them. And so may they rest in that and lean on the goodness and the grace of Jesus. So I commit them to you. Thank you that it's you who does the great work in hearts. We love you. We thank you for our time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.